Ian Wigby sat on his cot, staring at the raging storm just beyond his window. It seemed that Lady Lightning and Master Thunder were having another argument, or so the headmistress, Madame Dimbleby, liked to say. That old married couple, she would tell the children, Lady Lightning and Master Thunder, sometimes have arguments, as married couples often do. Lady Lightning likes to keep her husband, Master Thunder, in line, you see, so she zaps him a good sting every now and again. But the Master won't have it, and he roars back at her. Give them a few hours to tire themselves out, and they'll soon settle down and let their daughter, Mistress Rain, have the sky all to herself again. Madame Dimbleby told the story of Lady Lightning and Master Thunder to all the orphans who came to live at Delphi Keep, to help them adjust to the turbulent weather that often visited their little patch of England. And it worked, if the seven sleeping boys behind Ian were any indication. But Ian wasn't fearful of the tempest outside. In fact, he'd never been afraid of any storm. Instead, he was fascinated by the brilliant light and the clapping thunder, and he loved storms at night best of all. Yet this squall brought a foreboding to him that he couldn't quite shake, and for some time he'd been less interested in what was happening in the night sky and more absorbed in watching the ground below. Deep in his five-year-old bones, he knew that his life was about to change. Intently, he watched the road leading to the keep, a thin strip of black that he was just able to make out every time Lady Lightning sent a snap to her husband. There had been nothing on the road to call his attention, and yet he couldn't take his eyes off it. The clock at the foot of the stairs chimed. He counted as the old timepiece gonged eleven times. Ian sighed. His eyelids were growing heavy and the storm was dying down. Perhaps he should give up his vigil and crawl under the covers. But just as he was about to turn and pull back the bedclothes, Lady Lightning sent a terrific zap across the sky, and something on the road materialised out of the darkness. Ian squinted and rested his forehead on the window pane. The form that had caught his attention appeared to be large. Ian cupped his hands around his eyes, straining to peer into the darkness. There, something moved. In fact, it was racing along the road toward the keep. As he watched, he began to put features to the form. It looked like a man on a horse, riding hard through the rain. Ian's mouth fell open. He'd been right. Something exciting was about to happen. He jumped out of bed and trotted on tiptoe to the other end of the long room, past the double rows of sleeping boys. He paused at the door and placed his ear at the crack. Soon he was rewarded with the banging of a fist on the heavy oak door of the keep. For a moment, the interior of the old fortress remained quiet, but just as he was about to open his door to get Madame Dimbleby, he heard her shuffling down the hallway with her cousin and companion headmistress, Madame Scargill. Who could that be at this hour? he heard Madame Dimbleby ask. Whoever it is should be taught some manners, Madame Scargill complained, as more pounding echoed from downstairs. Ian opened his door a crack and peered into the hallway, catching a glimpse of the back of Madame Scargill's head as she descended the staircase. He waited a beat, then stepped into the hallway and crept to the railing. 
there was an old table butted up against the wooden slats with a small hole in the back that would give him both cover and a convenient spy hole. He scooted under the table just in time to see the headmistresses open the door and reveal a stranger. A bony-looking man, soaked to the skin, stood in the doorway. His hair was long and stuck to his unshaven face. He wore a tattered coat and large black boots, and in the dim light he appeared quite frightful. Please, he said in a deep voice, I come on a mission of mercy. The headmistresses had stepped back as they had opened the door to the man, and Ian could see their doubtful expressions when they turned to each other in silent contemplation. As they hesitated, the man stepped forward and pulled something out from the folds of his coat. Both women gasped when they saw that it was a small child. I found her not four hours ago, he explained. She was toddling about in this muck, if you can believe it. I took her home for a time to wait the rain out, but I don't have any food fit for her, and up until a bit ago she was fretting as bad as this storm. Oh, my, said Madame Dimbleby, as she hurried to take the child. After hugging the toddler to her chest and pulling the folds of her shawl about the babe, she asked, Where on earth did you find her? Her mum rents the cottage on the edge of me property, the man said. I found this little one wandering about in the field next to the house, so I went looking for her mum, but she's cleared out. Cleared out? Madame Scargill asked in her usual clipped speech. What do you mean, cleared out? All her belongings is gone. Her clothes, her trunk, all her personal things. There was this note, though he said, and once more he dug around in the folds of his coat, from which he fished a crumpled damp letter that he held out to the women. Madame Scargill took the paper, placing her half-glasses onto her nose before she read, I cannot stay any longer. The child would be in danger if she were found with me. Please get her safely to the orphanage at the keep near Castle Dover.'